Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Even Odds podcast. I'm your host, Mason. I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, back from his European adventure, Trey McLaren. It's good to be stateside. <laughs> yeah, back when the grass is greener. I, I don't know about that. It's pretty nice over there. Yeah, it's pretty great, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, why did you come back? I don't know. I don't know. The weather's awesome. The buildings are all beautiful. The beer is delicious. It's a great time. Yeah, it's probably for this podcast the reason you came back. <laughs> no. Now that I'm thinking about it, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But uh, we're back here with episode four. We've got a lot, of talk, a lot of fun things to talk about today. We've got the modern metagame breakdown. We've got an awesome new sponsor we get to talk about, which is pretty exciting. And we're going to talk to you a little bit about Standard because... You know, we thought it was important to bring up Standard a little bit and bring up why we're not talking about Standard. So, just a little behind the scenes, Trey went to Europe, so we had to record a couple episodes back-to-back, so we couldn't talk Standard. Right. We, the plan was talk Standard when Trey gets back. We, we started thinking about the episode, and we realized, uh, the PT's happening in, like, a week, so this episode will only have, like, four days of non-PT content, basically. So we figured, let's talk about Modern. Save that for later. Do standard post-PT and talk about that. Because I've won a PPTQ and you've won a PPTQ so far. Both playing Is It decks. Completely different takes. So I guess let's talk about that real quick. And then let's move into the other stuff. Since that will give some people some standard content. Yeah. So let's talk about your deck. Because your deck's like a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about mine in a second. <laughs> uh, uh, I played uh, Is It Drake or Is It Phoenix or Is It Spells. I've seen a bunch of different names. Blue Red Arc Light is what I like to call it. Great. That sounds way better than any of the other things. Um, which is really key, but I think that one of the reasons that the deck is confusing to name is because the deck is really like two sides of the same kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. like a Drake deck and a Phoenix deck, an Arclight Phoenix deck. And it's weird because you only really need one of those sides to win. Like if you get either side of that going, it's going to close the game out pretty quickly. And uh, if you get both of them going, well, <laughs> good night nurse, as they say. <laughs> Never heard that before in my no, life. <laughs> to be fair, no one says that. That's okay. not. I don't think that's really a thing. I thought it was a young person thing again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. I mean, I think that deck is very powerful. I do too. I am I, thoroughly impressed with it, and I I would run back the exact seventy five that I played if I had to play again today or or you know next week or something else. I think the deck is is very hot, and I would be excited to play it going on in standard unless something were to drastically change from where the metagame is right now. Yeah, I, I think playing standard right now, you have to have a plan for this Arcalite deck. I'm going to be honest everyone. I don't know what the right plan of action is, so it's great that we're not doing this episode now because yes. I'd be like, there's a lot of things we could do, and I don't know if any of them really work that well. I know kill spells and Death Watch Scavenger is at least a plan. Yes, the, the, the biggest thing you have to keep in mind in playing against the deck is you have to have exile effects. Yeah. What, whatever that is, whether that's Death Gorge, whether that's Lava Coil... Whether that's syncopate, like whatever it is that you're doing, you have to be using exile effects against that deck. And if you're not, you're going to lose. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I won my PBDQ, I guess we're talking about with, uh, this was two weeks ago now, with a blue-red control deck. And so I kind of did the thing we talked about on how to win a PPTQ episode. Episode 2, it's a great episode. I've heard amazing things. You should definitely listen to it. Uh, 100% positive feedback so far. <laughs> yeah, no, no negative. It's <laughs> so weird. Uh, I just tune it all out. Um, but no, seriously though, it was just a thing where it's kind of like we talked about how uh, I think my deck was good two weeks ago because the two best decks were Jeskai and Golgari. And I was tired of playing a blue-red deck. I didn't figure out Arclight Phoenix was the trick to beating the Chupacabras. So I just cut all the creatures from my main deck, put them in my sideboard, and I would sideboard them in. And then I would win main deck games through big explosions and Inescapable Blaze. Because Inescapable Blaze, like two weeks ago, was lining up really well with the format. Where like, it kills Teferi and can't be countered. It kills Lyra's. It kills basically everything but Carney T and Avraska 6 that takes up immediately. And it goes face, so it was pretty easy to win games like that. But it really was a thing where it's like, I'm going to attack the metagame and hope that like I can play well enough and people play metagame decks. And I played against a bunch of metagame decks and won. So 
I did have a fear though where I played in uh, my first round of top eight. I played against blue black pirates. And I had two fiery candidates in my opening hand. And they played Pirate Pirate. And I'm like, not like this, Papa. <laughs> not like this. So uh, that's going to... And to be fair, I also called your deck, Is It Nonsense? Which is, the answer is yes. I mean, I got made fun of a lot. Shout out to James Hess for that Star of Extinction tech. It really did change the game. And then Sam Black's been all about it. So, you know, one of us said it was silly. One of us has Sam Black talking. You know, it's whatever. <laughs> um, but <laughs> who's to say who's right? Um, but regardless... You know, the deck's very fun. It was very cool. And I think if your metagame is Jeskai Gregory, my deck is much better than the Arclight Phoenix deck at beating those decks. Oh, I think I think that that's true. And I think it's a good example of what we talked about mm-hmm. in episode two of like, if there is a recognized metagame that you can find a way to attack it and then it'll be an interesting time because people won't have a plan for what you're doing and your entire setup is a plan for what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, flip side is, my deck can't beat Arclight Phoenix or Dante's Vanguard, so it's probably not that good anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, but... Let's move on to the modern metagame, because that's going to be our episode this week. But before we get into the modern metagame, we do have a kind of a super exciting announcement. So we take the podcast very seriously. You know, this is something where we like to have a good time, like to joke around. But when we had people approach us as sponsors, you know, we had to make sure that their brand and value was something that our, like, values line up with. Right, yeah. We don't want to just get, you know, uh, we're not going to sell out so soon. We want to be sure that what it is that we're getting aligns with the principles that we've tried to establish here on the Even Odds podcast. And that's why we were happy to find someone who was the perfect partner for what it is that we're trying to do. Yeah, so let's just hop right into our ad real, read real quick here for our sponsor, Goblin Char Bargains. That's right, Mason. Goblin Char Bargains with the best turn one deals on the web. Hello, fellow Magic competitor. Are you ready to be the hit of all of your upcoming Halloween parties? Then you need Ravenous Cup of Cobwebs from Goblin Char Bargains. That's right, Ravenous Cup of Cobwebs. You'll spook even your most loyal Innistrad fans with Ravenous Cup of Cobwebs. What is it, you ask? That's a good question. It's a mug overflowing with actual spiders who have an insatiable taste for blood that cannot be slicked. Terrorize your friends. Terrorize yourself. Be the coolest kid around with Ravenous Cup of Cobwebs. To get that, go to Goblin Char Bargains and use our promo code, Don't Force Me Bro. Yeah, nothing gets turned for like a ravenous cup of cobweb. So uh, really excited to have them as a sponsor. And Don't Force Me Bro, I think, really does integrate what the brand's about. And I'm, I'm just really happy we found someone that lines up with our values. Yeah, it's great. Um, but enough about that. Let's hop into the meat and potatoes of the episode. We're doing a modern metagame breakdown, kind of check-in type thing. So with the GP coming up in Atlanta and the modern RPTQs coming up in a month to a little over a month, depending on like which side of the bracket you fall in for the RPTQs local to you, we figure it's a good time to check in on Modern because a lot is changing with Modern, Trey. So, Trey, do you want to kind of start talking about some of the new kids on the block when it comes to Modern? Uh, sure. I mean, you know, it's been interesting that uh, Ravnica has had an impact not only on reshaping, uh, shaping up Standard and, and changing the metagame there, but it's also been bringing new decks to light in, in Modern. Um, which is always a reflection, I think, of a pretty powerful set because it can be hard to kind of shake up those uh, eternal formats or quasi-eternal formats as as modern is because there's so much of an established metagame. But um, it has it has had an impact of creating new archetypes as well as reviving uh, kind of previously outdated or dead archetypes. Um, and so one of the first ones of those is it's been the the talk of the town lately in modern is is the old graveyard buddy. Uh, it's an appropriate for Halloween time, uh, the, the reemergence of Dredge, a, a deck that was previously popular and 
has a special place in my heart as being the deck that I used to qualify for the Pro Tour that I played on was Dredge. Uh, but it's a deck that's fallen out of favor since Golgari Grave Troll uh, was banned. It just really didn't have the power level or the oomph that really was necessary to compete with the other combo decks. Yeah, it really lacked the reach. That was the thing, right? Like, you couldn't conflagrate people out. And with the rise of, like, humans and stuff like that, it was very hard for that deck to play. Because it was kind of a thing with Eldrazi Tron and Death Shadow, but, like, wasn't very good. But it was a deck you could play. And then it, the metagame shift to humans, excuse me, and it's very hard to, like, attack that deck with the Dredge deck because you can't really conflagrate their board if they hit an Anthem. And then the meddling mages let you name the stuff where, like, Creeping Shield gives you that extra reach. You can actually, like, race and beat down. Because Dredge is an aggro deck, right? Like, right. Okay, yeah. I, that's something that I hear a lot of debate about between some people. I mean, well, it, it's weird. So, so first off, you, you kind of touched on a thing. And so, for the, for the uninitiated, the card that brought this back on the map is Creeping Chill. Which, Creeping Chill uh, is a card that, if it is put into the graveyard uh, from, your deck. from your deck, then you can exile it, and it, it deals three to your opponent. And so that was something that really... And you gained three, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which, it's big. Not, it's not insignificant, but it's not the primary Free deal. Helix, baby. <laughs> that's Free right. Um, but, so that's the card that really put Dredge back on the map. And so I, I can see the confusion between Dredge being a combo deck or, or an aggro deck. But the reason that something like humans can give it problems is that the way that Dredge gets in there is that it goes wide with recursive threats. Right? Like, you essentially get to draw a ton of cards every turn because your graveyard is essentially your hand and then you put a bunch of creatures into play and then that is tough for other decks especially mid-range mid-range decks or control decks to deal with or interact with because even if they remove them then they come back a deck like humans can be difficult because humans goes wide and puts a big bunch of creatures in play that can block profitably and interact profitably with the creatures that you're putting into play. Yeah, and they do clock you. Yes. Because the, the thing that, I was, that always impressed me about Dredge is, the way the deck's built, Dredge X, X is essentially draw that many cards, but even though you're drawing so many cards, the deck does have a little bit of a fail rate since losing Rogari Grave Troll, because you're incentivized to bring back Loam a lot, so that you can con- build up conflagrates against that deck, which means you're only drawing three. Mm-hmm. Ugh, only three cards a turn. <laughs> but that does have a fail rate, right? And a lot of your creatures actually can't block. Like, you play 12 creatures total, 4 Narcomeo, 4 Bloodgast, and 4 uh, Prize Amalgam. Like, you have other creatures, but they're essentially dredgers only, and sometimes you play them. So your creatures don't block well. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard when a deck like humans, especially when they adopt things like Tormont Crypt, which we'll talk about more later, is a big, like, Zayn Saeed Lotus Box tech that's kind of helped revolutionize the matchup. But, yeah, it's very hard when, like, they have real hate against you now, and they're attacking you in a very fast, proactive way. Right. But so that's why Creeping Chill has been such a big, uh, a big turning point for the deck. Because what you end up with is you can get an explosive start. You can get in uh, a lot of damage early. And then as your opponent starts to build up a board, it makes it where that's not a way that you can profitably interact anymore. Then uh, Creeping Chill, uh, in combination with Conflagrate, can, can finish the job. Yeah. Right? Can get you across there and, and do, it, do so in a way that they can't profitably interact with. Yeah, the, the thing the thing about, you know, and we're going to talk about Dredge a little bit more later. We're going to talk about some other new decks here in a second. Um, the thing that I always think about and I keep in mind when I'm thinking about Creeping Chill in the deck is you're probably going to see three of them. And against most decks, your opponent's going to fetch Shock. So your opponent's starting at 8 and you're starting at 29. Right. That is a huge difference when you're playing an aggro deck. Like when all you have to do is deal 8 damage, assuming you don't Dredge terribly, that's like huge for the deck. Narc Amiibos can do that. Right. So Well, and it's a thing too that like Dredge is a deck that fundamentally cheats at the rules of magic 
like it takes something that's generally not a resource and makes it a primary resource, right? Like mm-hmm. all of a sudden your graveyard is not just a dumping ground for the things that have been disposed of. It is now the primary thing that you're doing. And if you don't have specific cards that interact with it, you can just out-resource any deck in the format. Yeah. Like, no matter what format it is. I don't care. Legacy, Vintage, Modern, whatever. Like Dredge fundamentally breaks the rules of the way the game works. Mm-hmm. And... As a result of that, I mean, it's normally like a 70%, 75% game one deck, like if not higher, like it's preposterous. Mm-hmm. If you can't interact with the graveyard, like how linear and effective dredge is at doing what it is that it does. Um, and so if you have these additional tools now that let you do more things um, post side, then the deck is, I think, a real contender uh, in order to go forward. And one of the other tools that it got and that I think makes it really appealing is a sideboard card is that with dredge decks, normally you had to have a fight of, like, what hate is your opponent playing? Like, are yeah. they playing Rest in Peace? Are they playing, you know, uh, Relic of Progenitus? Are they playing Tormod's Crypt? Like, are they playing, like, what are the hate spells that they have? Because the removal spells that you had, or the anti-hate spells that you had in dredge, were conditional in some way. Like, you had Ancient Grudge, or you had Nature's Claim, or you had these other things, and you had to try to figure out and guess right as to what you needed for each situation. But now, Guilds of Ravnica gave us an amazing gift, an Assassin's Trophy that solves that problem. Now you can just play four Assassin's Trophy in the side of your dredge deck, and it's like, well, it's game two. I don't know what hate they're going to have, and I don't have to figure it out. I can just bring in four Assassin's Trophy, and I'm covered to be able to get things going again, uh, regardless of what it is that they have. There's never been a worse time uh, to be sitting behind a rest in peace than in a world where dredge can play four ATs. Yeah, and the, the crazy thing about AT is, so like, it's funny because, like you said, there's a cost in nature's claim. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, but you just named a bunch of artifacts and enchantments. So the cost is if they <clears throat> don't draw their hate card, right, and they're just like, hey, I'm the human's deck, and I kept a hand of champion the Paris Thalia, 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 Thalia's lieutenant, like, attack you, right? right? And you're like, oh, God, like, you got me because I, like, essentially mulligan. Because you do your opening hand does need to function. <clears throat> so having AT lets you have an out to those kind of things. And it lets you play a real game plan. Because sometimes you do just draw cards, it's, un, it's not normal, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. So having a card that's actually versatile is very powerful in the sideboard. And it will lead us to more talking about Dredge more later. Do you want to talk about the deck that people thought was going to benefit the most from AT in the form of Jund? Sure. So Jund is interesting to me. Because the thing about Jund is it tries to play a fair game plan of trading one for one. And I think Reed Duke really hit the nail on the head when he was on the Goldfish podcast of that AT is just... Oh, by the way, AT is Assassin's Trophy. I don't think we said that yet. Oh, probably not. Yeah. So yeah. Assassin's Trophy is AT. That's the way, it's just way better and much less childish. <laughs> we, we have official sponsors. We can't be saying those kind of jokes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. regardless. Uh, Goblin Char Bargains has a family. We yeah. got to be sure. They share our family values as well. Um, so we're, we're going by AT. That's what we go by for Assassin's Trophy. Just let it be known. All right. Regardless, you can't have unfavorable exchanges, right? And you think to yourself, well, I just won't play Assassin's Trophy on the turns where it's going to be unfavorable. But that's just not how Magic really plays Mm -hmm. out in the games, especially with a deck like Jund and Black Green and Abzan type decks. So it's interesting, and I'm very curious to see how the metagame evolves, but I have not been impressed by Jund, like, that much at all. I know people like Jadeen are, like, rocking with it, but my counter-argument is Jadeen is always 5-0-ing leagues with Jund. Like, right. even when Jund was bad, JDN's like, here's my new 5 <laughs> To be fair, I haven't been impressed with Jund since, like, 2010. So that's, um, <laughs> that's part of a problem. Uh, I, I've never particularly understood what the desire would be to play, like, the fairest of fair decks in, in a format like Modern or in a format like 
you know, legacy or something else. Like when you have the opportunity to do these really uh, obscene things, the idea of what I want to do is just grind out incremental advantage turn by turn with green creatures is just not a thing that uh, uh, really appeals to me. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there is value there, and the the deck certainly has some more viability now with AT than it did before. Like you know, it had kind of vanished completely, uh, other than like the true believers. You know, Jadine being a, a, a true believer, Reed Duke is certainly a Jund believer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you know, outside of that, like the deck was pretty much gone. Um, but I think that there there is some merit to you know exploring it again if that's the type of thing that appeals to you. For sure, yeah, I think. Jund is like a reasonable choice, but I'm not so sure if it's actually really good in the metagame right now, especially with Dredge being like the boogeyman. Like Dredge is the deck with its like, that's like you need to target. I'm not particularly excited playing Jund. So I'm not super excited about like level three in a GP or something. No. So yeah, I don't know. No, and it's a thing that Jund defenders will always say that Jund is a, you know, it's the 50-50 against everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think that's just the thing that Jund players like to say. And I think that the reality is much more that they might be 60-40 against everything, and they might be on the bad end of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, on some occasions. Yeah. It equals out. Yeah, I, I think, you know, discard Tarmoy with Liliana the Veil is a good strategy against every deck. You just, I don't always get that draw. And I want that draw every time. So, <laughs> right, yeah. Like, if you told me I start with those three cards and three lands I can cast them, I'm much more excited to play Jund. Yeah. But... Yeah, That's and if you, you know, and the whole deal is if you've got a removal spell like AT that you're like, oh, sometimes it's conditionally good and sometimes it's not because they're going to get additional resources and we're trying to like get incremental advantage. And that's a reason to play Bloodbraid Elf, but now I'm going to Bloodbraid Elf into this, and then I might not want to cast it. It's like, well, now I just played a four mana three two. Well, <laughs> well, I, I think I might have done a bad job explaining what Reed meant there because that's I don't think that's what he meant. I think he meant more specifically on the early turns. You don't want to get double spelled against. Sure. So that, that's more thing. I think giving them a land just doesn't matter, like a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So. I don't, I don't want that to be like, I did, if I did a poor job communicating that. I think he meant more, you can't AT like a scavenging ooze in the mirror, and then they them go Bob Bob. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing can't happen to you, because you'd fall too far behind. You're like so much about grinding. So getting tempoed out is very scary. Yeah, I understand. Okay. All right, I was making sure. Yeah. Word. Word. You ready to talk about... Let's talk about the new one. Tell me, tell me Mason, tell me about Runaway Red. So Runaway Red, Arclight Red, whatever you want to call it, is the new hotness in Modern. So this is a very interesting and weird deck. that is. We're also talking about an idea of a very nebulous deck because there are a lot of different things you can do with Runaway, Steamkin, and Modern and Arclight Phoenix. So originally it's a Holy Diva deck, who's a Twitch streamer, and she was putting Runaway, Steamkin, Arclight Phoenix, Bedlam Reveler, some Rituals, and like Monastery Swiss Spears in a deck. And it turns out those cards all just play really well together with like... Fiery Temper, Lava Spike, Lightning Bolt, and the deck is a very consistent fast red deck. But now the deck's starting to evolve, and it's starting to become like, is it deck? So you're playing blue cards, or Grixis deck, like Ryan Overturf is promoting, of course. And then <laughs> yeah, things sure. like that, right? And then, uh, you know, as we're recording right now, there's an SCG going on, and someone was 8-0 uh, day one playing a Needle, excuse me, Needle Drop Runaway Red. So it's even more on the kind of going through the deck thing. Rudy Briska's playing Runaway Red. There's a lot of different Runaway Red decks right now, and... The deck is very interesting because it doesn't look like it's on the modern power level, but the fact that you're able to move through your deck so quickly and the versions that play Runaway Steamkin are able to triple and quadruple spells so efficiently that you kind of just take over the modern metagame. So it's very hard for a deck like Jun to keep up with this deck because it like essentially plays like a burn deck a lot that gets like vol- like turbo through its deck and doesn't lose to cards like Core Firewalker, right? Like 
Uh, in round three of the SCG, Rudy Briscoe is playing against someone on Azuria Spirits who played Core Firewalker, Phantasmal, and Midget have two Core Firewalkers. And he almost won one of those games because his deck doesn't have the one-off burn spells, the repeatableness of Arclight Phoenix, Bedlam Revel drawing three cards. You're able to actually move through your deck and really do stuff. And it's an archetype that I think is very real. The only thing holding it back is it's very unclear what, what you're supposed to be doing as the best strategy. It's yeah, very early on. I think that this is one of the most exciting decks in Modern right now because of that. Like, this this is the Wild West right now for Runaway Wet. <laughs> Runaway Red. Um, uh, my tongue got stuck looking for stuff. <laughs> um, no, but this is a this is a weird deck right now because it's, it's just kind of a thing that started up, and so there's no real consensus now as to what it's going to be. And it's not tuned to the point of what it's going to be. But its powerful engine is there enough that it's like worth exploring and it's worth trying to figure out what it's going to be. And I think it can be comparable to the way the Drake decks have evolved in Standard. Right? It's like, okay, this is a really powerful thing to be happening. And now, you know, into the point where we're in the format, those have been tuned into a different direction wholly from where they were at the beginning. And they're becoming much faster, much better, much more linear. And I think that same thing is going to keep happening with Runaway Red where it's going to keep getting refined and the engine of it is powerful enough that it's going to become pretty dangerous. Like, it's different. Like, you got a deck like Dredge. Like, I mean, Dredge has been around since Dredge was printed, right? Like, there's been a lot of refining that has happened, and so it's easy to, like, plug new tools into it when they show up. But, like, with this, like, this is a whole new thing that is just now at the beginning of it. And so watching that development and uh, also recognizing that if this is a deck that you're interested in picking it up, that there's room to play with it. Like, you're not just picking up a list and being like, this is the way it has to be. There's room to explore with this, and I think that makes that a really exciting deck. Yeah, like, cards like Manamorphos are, like, very powerful in Modern, and this deck does a great job of abusing Manamorphos. So, like, it's a deck that's very real. You should definitely be aware of it and, like, have a plan for Runaway Red if you're going to any Modern events. I don't expect it to win any tournament soon, because I think it's still early on that phase, but the deck is real. Yeah. Like, and if you're a person who likes to brew and likes to look, starting with the core of this engine is something that I would certainly be interested in doing and seeing what directions it could be pushed. Yeah, for sure. The, the deck is very powerful, and it uses a lot of really strong cards in Modern. The Faith is Looting, very good in a burn deck, because you don't flood on lands. And then the deck has a lot of extra resources and takes advantage of that card very well. So, very exciting time to be in that deck. You know, Faith is Looting, Modern's Brainstorm. Uh, let's talk about the tentpole decks of the... Are you okay? Yeah, fine. Fine. Uh, you want to talk about the 10 poles of the format, Trey? Let's start off, I think we should just quickly touch on one of them. So we're going to talk about the four types of decks that we think are like the best decks in modern right now and what you need to be looking at. And I think Dredge is the first one. And do you want to just quickly talk about that since you're the guy that plays Dredge? I, I don't soil my hands with such <laughs> uh, Dredge is great. Dredge cheats. <laughs> and so... <laughs> okay. Uh, no, like I said, I mean, I, I said a lot about it already, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is that, um, Dredge is an extremely linear deck that is extremely efficient at doing the thing that it does. It has new tools right now to help it close out the games, which makes up for the fact that the most powerful Dredgers have been banned, right? Like it, you used to be able to rely on just churning through your deck at a faster rate because you had Golgari Grave Troll. Now you don't, you dredge less efficiently than you did before. So now you need more powerful cards to help close the game out. Creeping Chill helps fill that role uh, in getting that reach going to where you're getting more impact off of the cards that you're dredging since you're dredging fewer cards. And then also the sideboard stuff with AT, it solves a lot of the problems that the deck had from a sideboard standpoint because it's a weird deck to sideboard with because you're going to be dumping your you're dumping your whole deck into your graveyard as a general rule. Mm-hmm, for sure. 
right. Well, I think that's that. I kind of want to talk about humans and spirits because I think those are the next ten pull decks of the format, and it's very interesting. So humans and spirits occupy this like aggressive beatdown tempo-y deck slot, like they both do. But humans is like faster and has no sideboard. And Spirits is like kind of slower and has a sideboard. And it's really interesting to play modern and have people like, there are a lot of people on the SCG tour specifically who are diehard humans is the best deck in modern. It's so fast. You don't need a sideboard and stuff like that. And other people are like, you're insane. Spirits is like good in that matchup and has a sideboard. And it's very interesting to me. So I'm curious where you stand on this because I know you haven't been playing a whole lot of modern recently. But where do you think about the humans versus spirits thing? Because you're someone that was playing humans for a little bit. I, I did play humans, and, and I think that the, the hype around humans is well-deserved and well-earned at this point, right? Like, the results are there. It's the, obviously the, a great deck. Obviously a great deck. The consistency is there. It continues to have top finishes. Um, it, it's also a deck that can be more complicated than it initially looks. Like, it, it's you can pick it up, and you can play it, and it has a, a linear strategy, but there's also a lot of weird things that go on that you can get a lot of play out of the deck where it might not seemingly look like that at first blush. So that's something that I like. Um, but you're right. The sideboard of humans is trash as a general rule. Like you have to make a lot of concessions in order to play things like Ancient Ziggurat and Cavern of Souls, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're, you're giving up a lot in order to make the mana work. Um, and so as a result of that, you have kind of disruptive sideboard elements and you have things that kind of do something, but they're not particularly great. Human still seems to win anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem to really matter that much because uh, its its main plan is so effective. But the Spirits deck is, is interesting as well because the one of the best cards in the Humans deck is Manus Rider. Because the, the flying in Modern is, is very real and very relevant. And so the Spirits deck, almost all of their cards have that evasion already built in. And that can make it difficult for other decks to interact with. Um, and so I think that it's also a good choice, but it is slightly slower, like you said. It, it is not as explosive, um, but it is consistent. I mean, it has the same kind of level of consistency. Like, it does what it does every game, mm -hmm. right? And you're going to cast your spells, and you're going to do your things, and it's going to interact. Um, it's weird at the three-drop spot, three spot, like the difference between, like, Spell Queller and Reflector Mage, right? Like, Reflector Mage can catch you up when you're behind, and, like, Spell Queller doesn't necessarily. Like, you have to have the Spell Queller at the critical turns. Well, it's interesting. It's funny that you say that because, like, Spell Queller does a good job of actually, like, slamming the door or catching you up. Because it's such a big tempo game that you get to, like... So, like, maybe you're falling behind and then they play something and then you Spell Queller. And it's like, all right, now you just lost that turn. Coco. Build up your board. Right. So, it actually plays out like that a little bit. Zan uh, Saeed actually 5-0'd the league the other day with playing Spirits but having Reflector Mage in the deck as well. Now that's hot. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So yeah. That, that way the deck's always able to catch up from behind. Yeah, because, I mean, I can. that's one of the things that I like about Reflector Mage is just that, like, they play, like, their big spell or they play their, you know, their four drop or whatever that you're like, oh, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then you draw Reflector Mage and you're like, oh, everything's fine. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't matter. And then in that same situation, you top deck a spell queller and you're like, feels bad, man. <laughs> like, uh, I wish I'd have had it. That's true. It's interesting, too, because I think the decks, while they do a similar thing, they attack different decks better. Right, like, Bant Spirits is really good against blue-white control. Like, that is a good matchup. Yeah. Blue-white control against humans is is a hard matchup, historically, right? Yeah. Same thing with, like, Just Guy Emit is harder for Spirits, but it's still much better than is, like, humans, comparatively. So, the types of decks you battle, I think things like pouring out the Reflector Mage matter a lot. Because Reflector Mage in those matchups is not a card. And Spellcaller is the card. So, 
it's interesting how that works. Also worth noting, you know, speaking of Zan, he also followed a league with a humans deck that was playing Spellcrawler. Right. Was that the one that cut Kite Sail and Mantis Rider? Yes. So it was basically like Bant Humans. It was blue-white humans. And then someone at the open was playing Bant Humans. Right. Yes. So it's very interesting like to see how these decks are evolving. And they're kind of meshing. Right. And I, I'm curious. I know Zan's very much a, like a brewer at heart and stuff like that. And he likes to push as far as the deck can go. It's interesting to see him do well with essentially the same decks, but taking the best parts that the deck doesn't have and putting it in the other deck. Right. Well, I think that that is an interesting an interesting thing. Like, the the five color humans deck is the five color humans deck, and there's not really a lot of new directions for it to go right now without the printing of new cards. Like, mm-hmm. like the deck is pretty established and works in, in an effective way. I don't know that there's a lot to be gained by tinkering with it, but exploring the idea of using a lot of those same core cards in different combinations is something that's interesting. Like getting away from that deck. What does it look like if we don't play Ancient Ziggurat? What does it look like if we don't have to play these other mana restrictions, right? Like, how can we then, uh, you know, effectuate a, an effective game plan? I think that's a fun a fun space to explore. Yeah. And it also fixed the sideboard problem, right? Yeah. The, the Blue-White Human stack has a sideboard. Yeah. It plays Stony. It plays Rip. It has those cards. Yeah. And once you get off of Ancient Ziggurat, you, your options open up. Yeah. And we kind of saw this at the Pro Tour, too, like seven months ago, where some pro teams brought humans with real sideboard cards and collected company and went with reflecting pool over ziggurat right so like this is a thing that has had some legs and while most pros deemed that it wasn't better maybe removing the elements that made you have to play those other risky cards fixes those elements right which is which is exciting long story short the aggressive humans decks and the spirits decks i think are the two i i think the two best decks in modern i think they are very reasonable against dredge a spirit specifically has like real sideboard cards. Now Zan, mm-hmm. once again, a lot of Zan talk here. Uh, he had he had a Tormont Crypt to the sideboard of humans, which is a real magic card. For like, sure, you get to have a real sideboard card. It's a one shot, but like it's a lot better than Pia and Kieran and Nalar, for example, yeah, yeah. which is my go-to. Uh, but you had a lot of hate for that card in your heart. I actually like that card a lot <laughs> and played with it a bunch, but like it's just funny that that's the Jun plan. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just it's amusing. Um, but regardless. I think spirits and humans are the real deal in modern and they're so aggressive, so proactive and they just, it's hard when humans fall from behind, but spirits can fall kind of behind and like building up a board, they can one shot you a lot. I've played a lot of spirits and I've played a lot of you're at 17, right? And they're like, (laughs) yeah. And I'm like, you're dead. (laughs) So (laughs) no, I think that those decks are both really good. And I think that it's interesting. I think it's interesting to look at a build that cuts mantis riders but plays spell queller to try to fill that slot mm-hmm. right because i do think it's important for humans to have a flying threat of some kind because they can clog up the board that's a thing that happens and then you have some problems and so like the idea of cutting that color but adding spell queller to like fit into that slot somehow is, is really interesting yeah it's definitely something i'm excited to test for you know probably more the states and rptq probably right. don't have time for a gp that's how it come up in four days but you know same old same old either way uh, let's talk about the next deck on the format. I'll, I'll talk a bit about this one because I know you hate it, and then we'll debate it. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, Blue White Tron. You know, Trey, this was the first. Blue White Tron. I'm sorry, Blue White Control. Blue White Control. Okay. I, Tron might be the next deck, <laughs> and I might have had a dyslexic moment. <laughs> uh, but regardless, um, Blue White Control, I think, is a very real deck. It's very good, and I was listening to the Ally Strategies podcast, and Sam Party kind of called it the 50/50 deck of the format. And I think that's much more true than Jund. Certainly, I, I could agree with that instantaneously. <laughs> uh, glad we agree there. <laughs> so, the deck is very good. It's very consistent. 
and it's surprisingly good against things that the other control decks in the past haven't been, and it gets to play cards like Terminus, uh, while other decks don't, right? Now, some people are splashing Terminus and Jeskai. It's a lot of experimentation happening in Modern, like always, but Blue-White Control is a very real deck that has a very powerful game plan of interact, interact, clear the board, stick it to Fairy or Jace, go. And there are people like LSV and stuff who are splashing, like not playing uh, Jaces in their Jeskai deck, which is very similar to Blue-White. I think Blue-White's better than Jeskai by a lot. But playing no Jaces, no Colonnades, and using like an all-a-spot removal and just trying to win off only Teferi, essentially. And that's very exciting, too. So I think Teferi is the real deal in Modern. And if you're able to like keep the board clear until you play a Teferi, it's normally lights out for a lot of decks in Modern. And it has the powerful white sideboard cards, like Stony, Rip, those kind of things that not other decks get to play and they get to play rest in peace because they're like a two snapcaster mage deck so i think blue white control if you're a control mage at heart or you just want to be like able to play against anyone have a shot blue white is the deck to play i i can agree with that i don't think that you said anything unreasonable there you know if control is where you want to be then i think that blue white is probably where you want to be if that's what it is that you're doing you know the thing that i fundamentally question is where whether or not control is where you should want to be in modern like, to me, Modern is a, is a format where being proactive is rewarded and that the linear aggressive decks and or combo decks are so efficient and so smooth and so powerful that it's just more incentive. Like, it seems like there's more incentive to me to do that type of thing and to be the one that is causing someone to react as opposed to being the one who's trying to react, especially with how varied the metagame is in Modern. Like, you go to a GP at Modern and you play, you know, nine rounds on day one, like, you're probably going to play against eight decks. Like, you know, you might play the same one twice, but, like, you're going to play against a lot of different decks, and you're going to have to be in a lot of different directions. And trying to have a deck that can answer all of that effectively is asking a lot. And so, to me, I always want to be in the seat in this kind of a format where I'm the one that's causing you to answer me, right? Like, I want to be the one demanding and not the one trying to respond. Yeah, that's fair. I think the thing that, where we differ, is that you're like, there are all these linear decks they're all creature decks right now, though. That's the thing. It's like every deck is linear. Like all the linear ones are all creature decks except KCI. So your deck's very good at answering creature decks. So it's not that big a deal. Well, and this goes back to what it, one of the things that we talked about, and I think it was... It was on CC. It was on CC. Yes. We were talking about, like, it, it's still hard for me. Like, if you're playing Terminus, right, which Terminus is the reason that blue-white is preferable against some of these other things, is that you get to play this one-mana sweeper. But that's because a four mana sweeper is not good enough. Like if you were just playing Supreme Verdict, you'll just die. <laughs> like, but, I continue, so I don't interrupt. And, and so that that's something is that if you if you are being put to the test where you have to rely on being able to cast a one mana sweeper in order to stay alive, I think that that's asking a lot. Now I'm not saying that these decks aren't good, and I'm not saying that this deck isn't something that you can play or should play. I'm just saying that that at this point, that's not the side of the equation I want to be on. I think there's a fundamental disagreement where you think you have to play terminus and i think you get to play terminus sure and that is where the problem is because you're saying you have to do this and i'm like nah dog you get to play terminus <laughs> <laughs> like that's the upside like you get to let these creatures resolve and you get to have brainstorm in the form of jace and you get to like have these moments where you just clear your opponent's board up and also against players who know what's up you get the advantage of how much do i play around terminus yeah. how much can i play around terminus so i i think that's where we differ and you know We've had this conversation a lot since two months ago yeah. where we sit on the podcast and we could have talked about it all night. We could probably talk about it all night here. 
I think blue white's good. I think it gets to play terminus. I think that's a perk, not a negative. Yeah, I understand where you're at, and I've really enjoyed being in the other seat where I'm watching my blue white opponents sweat that they can hit that third terminus, <laughs> and they're like, "Man, I really hope, I really hope I can get another terminus." I feel like maybe your opinion is painted by the amount of dredge and vegetifying you play. Hey, we do what we do. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of a deck that uh, you would think has a good blue white control matchup, but kind of doesn't, is Tron. Yeah. So Tron is the last uh, pillow of the format. You know, before we recorded this episode yesterday, the Modern Challengers won by a friend of the podcast, Caroline. Shout out to you, friend. She Way won. To go. Yeah, she won with Tron. Start off 0-1, rattle the back, baby. Tron is very good right now. It has like yeah, evergreen <laughs> statement. That's, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You can just go ahead and record that one, and just we'll slice it into the next Modern episode. Tron is really good right now. <laughs> yeah. but like it's very good against uh, like. The dredge decks, you get to play a bunch of relics and a bunch of board clears, right? And they normally can't pressure you quick enough for those things, assuming you make the concessions for dredge. Right, and, and half the time the Tron decks play the relics main deck, which becomes extremely frustrating yeah, exactly, as the graveyard right. player. Like they're playing two or three relics almost always main deck, so you just put that extra one in, that's very powerful. I've heard mixing reports on humans versus Tron and Tron versus spirits and that kind of stuff. I think it's favored Tron against spirits, like a pretty good margin and i think humans is favored against tron because of the proactive nature of humans versus the more reactive tempo nature of spirits while both decks can do both things i just said spirits is more reactive and tempo based while humans is more proactive than react uh, than tempo based sorry so i think there that's where it differs a good bit but that all being said it's also really tough to evaluate because I don't know, I don't know a single humans player that will ever tell you they have a bad matchup. Yeah, they seem to think that they're favored against every deck, no matter what's going on, and I, that certainly can't be true. Yeah, every infect player I talk to tells me they have a ninety ten matchup against humans, and every humans player I talk to tells me they have a ninety ten matchup against infect. So someone's wrong. I'm convinced the matchup's fifty fifty. That's my that's my answer. That's just math. Yeah. <laughs> so. Regardless, um, you know, humans, I'm sorry, Tron, it's very good. Surprisingly, not that great against blue-white. Like, Autumn, when uh, they went to, not GP Lil, I think it was GP uh, Prague, the one that Andre Ostrowski won playing Spirits, uh, they cut Carnage from their main deck and put in World Breakers because of blue-white and Spirits because it's just much better. Like, a 7-man to Vindicate is not good against those decks. We're having a thing that, like, answers a problematic Celestial Colonnade or answers an Aether Vial or something like that, and then has reach to actually knock down spirits and things like that and be recursive, is actually very good against those decks. Mm -hmm. So it's funny to me that, and this is another thing too, where like Tron players tell me the matchup's bad and blue-white players tell me the matchup's bad. So someone's wrong, mm -hmm. or the matchup's like clean 50-50. But regardless, I think Tron has a bad blue-white matchup, but the rest of the matchups are pretty reasonable. And my game plan in Modern is Tower, Mine, Power Plant, Karn minus. It's almost anything. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. I mean, Tron, that's the reason Tron is always going to be a pillar of the format. Like, when Tron does what it does, there's nothing that it's bad against. Yeah. Like, the the like the nut draw from Tron will just win the game. <laughs> like, yeah. The end. Even against Infect, now they have Ballista. Yeah. So, like, they can, like, really get the god draw and beat Infect, which is, like, their 90 tenner. Like, yeah. that one's an easy 90 10. No one's telling me differently there. <laughs> yeah. But, like, when they play... Tron piece, Tron piece, Tron piece, Ballista on the play, and you went Blighted Agent on two, you can't defend that thing enough from pings, I promise. <laughs> no, no, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it's crazy. That deck is very consistent, very good. And, and, you know, it's a deck that's honestly very tempting to play for the GP. 
Yeah, always. I mean, it, it mulligans extremely well. It, it does all of the things extremely well because it is so consistent at generating what it is that it does. Yeah, that's actually one of the biggest appeals to me when it comes to playing Tron is that you get to mulligan, and until you get to about five, you can be pretty liberal. Like, yeah. your, if your seven isn't cutting it your, and your six isn't cutting it, you have fives that can win it because you really only need, like, two Tron pieces, a way to get a Tron piece and a threat, and that's all it takes. Right. Yeah, and I mean, even fours. I mean, like, yeah, four, you, you, you don't want force a lot. You don't want to be like aggroing to four, but like, I think Caroline won on a mold of four in top eight of the modern challenge. Yeah, she won against uh, Hollow One, which is a bad matchup. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't matter. Like, if you have the right cards, it just, you just go, you know, um, which is a, a similar thing on uh, the back to another pillow of the format, Dredge. Like, Dredge mulligans very well, Tron mulligans very well. And both of those decks are things that you can mulligan aggressively. And I think that those are big draws and big appeals to those decks. Yeah, it's also a big tell on like, who knows how to play Tron? Who knows how to play Dredge? Like, if you're not mulliganing a lot, you're either drawing like an insane person, <laughs> and it's cursed, cursed or blessed, depending on how you want to look at it, or you're playing it wrong. Right, because those are decks that, like, like humans and spirits, and they, even they blue-white control, like, you can keep kind of medium hands and develop, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, your busted draws in Tron and your busted draws in Dredge are, like, so insane that you're incentivized to push towards that. Yeah. Like, because they're so unbeatable that, like, might as well just try to get them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, in Spirit, you keep a lot of, like, four lands, one's a canopy, and then you play Wanderer, two drop Lord, three drop Lord, and, like, that's your hand, and you're like, I mean, like, I could get a better hand, but this hand's pretty good. Right. <laughs> and, and, like, with like if you had that equivalent in Tron, it's like, nah. <laughs> nah. No, I'm going to get them. And same thing, Dredge. It's like, ah, I put a couple of things down. I did a couple. It's like, no, I want to go ham. Mm -hmm. immediately and if you're not doing that you're probably not doing it right for sure so what does this say about modern tray like these are the 10 poles of the format so you have spirit humans blue white control tron dredge yeah it's it's really strange because you've got uh, on one hand like hyper linear hyper effective creature based decks mm -hmm. you know you've got dredge humans spirits i mean those are all kind of fitting someone in a similar category of like very effective, very consistently putting things in play and swinging. Yeah. Right. Dredge does it in a different way, but like they're not sub substantively that different. Then you have Tron, uh, which then also fits with Dredge and in, in doing fundamentally broken things. Like they cheat the system. Mm -hmm. Tron, che Tron cheats the system on mana. Dredge cheats the system on hand. Right. Yeah. Right. Hey, mana. Yeah. Yeah. yeah hey, hey, mana. Cheats on both. Yeah. <laughs> right. But so like they, they those both cheat the system. They they don't follow the rules of the game. And then you have blue-white control, which tries to make everyone follow the rules of the game. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's a really weird, like, triangle that you have there. And it's also weird how Dredge lives in this place that overlaps with the linear aggressive creature decks and with the cheaty decks. Like, it, it kind of lives in this weird convergence world. Mm -hmm. um, this is the hypotenuse of the triangle. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Look at that poor little word, boy. <laughs> yeah. You know, you went for a comparison, and I, I applaud that. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think that I think that it also goes back to you know I know that I was saying things about blue white control of like wanting to be the one who is demanding the response as opposed to the one responding. Mm -hmm. I think something that is telling of looking at the meta game and the way that things shape up is that there's a lot of different ways to demand a response. There's only one, maybe two decks that are effective at, at responding. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a very limited number of ways that you can structure a deck for a control player to be effective at answering what it is that's going on. There's not a lot of options. As opposed to, there's a lot of options, 
if you want to try to determine how you want to be proactive. That, that I think that modern, even though there's a lot of variety, there's a lot of different decks, which, you know, we're talking about the top of the metagame. There's weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the last 5-0 deck dump had a polymorph deck and a mill deck <laughs> and other nonsense going on. Like, you can win games with some weird stuff. Yeah. If you want to. Like, also, like, a deck we didn't talk about that's very good. I wouldn't call it a tentpole deck, but, like, Amulet Titan is insanely well-positioned right Yes. Now. Deck's insane, so it's just so hard to play. Right. Which is something that I always love. I like it with there's a broken uh, combo deck, but then it's also hard to play. You can't just pick it up and be like, ah, I'm going to get them this week. You're <laughs> like, you got to put in the time. And I, I like something that's like that. But Amulet Titan fits in that Tron situation. Like, it just cheats. Yeah. Like, it, it, this breaks all the rules. This is not the way that Magic is supposed to be played. And it just does it and does insane stuff that you shouldn't be able to get away with. And Amulet Titan, like Hardened Scales, is one of those things that if you're the opponent and not familiar with that deck, you don't know when you're dead, ever. You're like trying to make plays and you're trying to do stuff and you're like, oh, I I did not see that I was going to be dead. See, that's where you're wrong. When I play against Hardened Scales, I assume I'm always dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm normally right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's interesting. The Modern is a very open format right now. It's a lot of things you can be doing. They're all kind of similar. Yeah, they are kind of similar. It's also interesting, like, we're coming up on tournaments where Modern is going to be played. And you're going to be going to these tournaments and you're going to try to win. But, you know, with Standard, when we talked about Standard and a little bit that we did, you know, we're talking about identifying the metagame, figuring out how to attack the metagame, working your way through and, and, and setting your plans for that kind of stuff. It doesn't really work in Modern. Like, Modern is so open, and there are so many different things going on, that it's more about try to figure out what it is that you're doing and do it as well as you can do it. And, yeah. you know, you need to have plans for what the other top decks are. You need to have some kind of a, a strategy, but you're not going to metagame Modern. Yeah, it's hard. Your 15 cards in your sideboard matter the most. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And there's going to be some weeks you just guess wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be like, well, but, you know, if you're going to GP Atlanta, you better have Graveyard Hate Cards. Yeah, so yeah. I, that kind of segues us into the end here. So you're not playing GP Atlanta. you got some work things you have to do with the old movie biz. Yeah, for, for those of you that don't know, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I, I own a film production company in Nashville, and we have a film that's actually going to be showing in Georgia, down the road from the GP uh, in Rome um, uh, this weekend. So When in Rome, baby. That's right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. when in Rome. So, But if you if you could play the GP, what would you play? Uh, I'd play Dredge. Okay, I'd play Band Strips. Yeah, I think, that, I think that those are both reasonable choices. Um, you know, and part of it, part of it is also influenced too, is that I haven't had a lot of time to play modern, um, because I was playing standard and then I was traveling and I've been doing movie stuff. And so I haven't played as much modern lately as I want. Um, and I dredge, I know, and you know, I'm very familiar with it. I could pick it up and I, I know I would be confident in the decisions it is that I need to make. Yeah. If I had infinite time, I think I'd play infect this coming weekend. I think infect is very well positioned with the way things are moving. It's very good against a lot of the tent poles of the format we talked about. And I think the deck's proactive, which is a good place to be in modern. Um, you know, as much as I like to say blue white control is very good, and it is, being proactive does have its edge. Hmm. And in fact, it has those free win potentials, and we see Aaron Barrett do it all the time. Uh, I don't have that kind of infinite amount of time to learn the hard matchups. These matchups are easy, the hard ones are impossible. So uh, I'm just going to play Band Spirits. I've played it a lot. I think the deck's really good. And having, and having a real sideboard is something I'm a big fan of at GPs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... Any of these tent poles that we've identified are, are would be reasonable choices. Like if you were to take any one of these four decks, five decks, yeah, to the tournament, I, you know, I think you're making a reasonable and defensible choice. Like, you know, there are other reasonable and defensible choices that are outside of this. Like if you wanted to play Hardened Scales Affinity, you wanted to play KCI, you wanted Amulet to play Titan. A Amulet Titan, 
you know, uh, you wanted to play, you know, uh, Infect. Bridgevine, Infect. Like, they're, you know. Let's slow your roll on Bridgevine. Hey, man, don't hate <laughs> on my Bridgevines, all right? Uh, we disagree here. That's why it's not on the show. <laughs> but uh, you knew we weren't going to escape this without me mentioning Bridgevines. Uh, Spell photos, time walk. <laughs> okay, these hot takes are getting out of control. You can argue it's better because it wins the game. You can flash in without it. That's all I'm <laughs> No, but... Uh, uh, no one has ever said a three-mana 2-3 two, three is time walk. That's what you get to even out of pod. Uh, speaking of which... That, well, now that we've had Mason's power 10, let's move <laughs> on to... Time Twister is in the power 9 level card balances. All right, so... <laughs> just not... Just not... I'm sorry. I said it. It's fine. These things happen. Uh, but let's, let's go to the wrap-up here. Uh, first, we want to give a big shout-out to the network once again. Constructive Criticism, PC Gaming Media, brings a lot to the show. Let's us get out to a lot of you that might not be able to hear us as quickly as we would like for you to, because luckily you're on that network. You're subscribed to that feed as well as our own individual iTunes feed and Stitcher and Google Play and all that good stuff. Um, so with that, you're able to hear us, and the show brings in a lot of things. And you really should be listening to the other shows in the network. You know, If you love Popper, Common Knowledge is the show for you. Um, they are killing it when it comes to Popper stuff. Popper's pretty sweet. I'm still convinced by 2020 we're going to get a Popper GP. So now's your time to get in on Popper. Prices are only going up, and the format's really deep. Mono black control forever. That's a way to live your life, and I respect <laughs> that. <laughs> um, then there's, you know, Homeward Path. It's kind of focused more if you're like a parent and that kind of thing. Uh, that's definitely the show for you. And then Constructive Criticism, if you're listening to this show and you're not listening to Constructive Criticism, you're kind of doing it wrong. Thank you for listening. We go listen over there, too. <laughs> like, their show is insanely good. Uh, those Michael and Matt and Spencer kill it. And with John Stern and Seth Mansfield coming up very soon, they're killing it. I think, technically, the new episode, uh, the first episode with John Stern and Seth Mansfield will be up four days after this episode goes up, live this Thursday. So it's going to be before the PT. If you're a patron, you'll be able to hear the episode. I think I did that right with the thing. And then the first official episode that everyone's going to be able to listen to is post-PT. So after the PT, make sure you have to, if you can't miss that episode, that's a can't miss, especially because Seth and John are going to win. They're going to be in the finals and that's how it works. And that's yeah. what you're like, check out Constructive Criticism. That's just how, that's how nature works, baby. I hope that this ages well. <laughs> it can only age one of two ways. <laughs> uh, I'm going to look like a genius in like two weeks. Uh, no, but regardless, uh, you definitely have to check them out. Definitely check out the network. Check out the YouTube channel. Um, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on Facebook at Mason Clark. You can find me on twitch.tv at sla- twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You can check out all my VODs as well on the Constructive Criticism YouTube channel. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at TreyMC, on Facebook at Trey McLarnan, and on Twitter at TreyMC. You may have noticed a theme here. And uh, if you are interested in any of my film work, you can also check out bestpartproductions.com. I like it. They're all short films too, right? So far, yes. We are working on a feature film right now that uh, hopefully will be coming to theaters near you at some point in the, in the near future. Love it. Yeah, short films, baby. They're quick, easy, bite-sized. Only the best parts. <laughs> <laughs> if you know anything about their company, that makes sense. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week's episode. We'll see you all next week. Trey, it's my time to talk after oh. this. Oh. <laughs> so we wanted to have a moment where... You know, the, we like the end bit. It's funny. But we also want to share some funny just life stories from our life and things specifically that are lingo that we talk about, right? Like in this episode today, we did AT and we kind of forgot to mention that <laughs> AT is Assassin's Trophy. Maybe not the best thing in podcast. But there are some funny stories and sayings that I've picked up from things that we have like happened in our lives and are part of the lingo. And we would really like to share them with you because we think it's worth something. So today I'm going to share the first one, selling some car wax. <laughs> so... 
when I first got out of high school, I wanted to take a break before I, I went into college. And my parents were like, if you're going to do this, you need a job. I'm like, okay, I got to find a job. So I'm like looking online, looking at Craigslist things. I get an interview. Very clearly when I walk in, I realize it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> <laughs> it's very obvious to everyone involved, it's a pyramid scheme. There was a glowing pyramid at the front of the room, <laughs> yeah. which is a pretty good indication. Pyramid scheme, Inc. is a big hit. <laughs> no, but regardless... um. So I get there and I'm like doing the interview and I'm like asking them like, yeah, you don't have to buy any product. You just have to sell it. And essentially you're buying it when you sell it. So there's no upfront cost, right? So I'm like, all right, well, I need a job. It doesn't really matter what job I have, right? And you make either minimum wage or commission, whichever is higher. So I'm like, this is fine. Let's do this, right? I had done sales before. I sold some storage units for a while. So it wasn't something I was completely new to. So I go and I do the training progress and I like learn the little things, like the little bits and the things you're supposed to say and whatnot for this FW1 car wax. It's a great car wax. You should definitely get it tried. Um, <laughs> breast Cancer Awareness Month. And, <laughs> and FW1 car wax was the thing I sold. And so the first day they're like, all right, you're going to go out in the field now. I'm sorry, second my second day. I had the first day to train me and second day you're going to go out in the field you're going to sell stuff. So I go out in the field. And there. Uh, what is the field? No, mm-hmm. so the field technically is a gas station. Okay, you're in the parking lot of a gas station. Technically, yes, but they call okay. it the field because it's a pyramid scheme okay. trade. It's very important to sell the illusion. You see, even now, I'm still selling it, baby. Uh, Always selling that car wax. So yeah, so I'm at a gas station. I'm at an Exxon, <laughs> out in the field, and my uh, trainer Landon, Landon goes, "Hey man, I'm gonna do as much as I can to help you tomorrow and teach you the basics, but I'm proposing to my girlfriend tonight." And I'm really anxious, and I gotta take care of a lot of things. So I'm gonna have to run. Away. I'm gonna have to leave for a bit. And I'm like, okay, man, that's cool. Do what you want to do. So he teaches me how to ring someone up, and he's like, don't worry about selling a lot, man. Like, twenty five. Like they expect you to sell one can. If you do, if you do fifty dollars, everyone's gonna lose their mind. So Landon leaves me for basically the whole day. I'm stuck by myself. I'm out in the field. Jump to the end of the day. So like every good pyramid scheme, we need to be there all day. <laughs> so we have no life. And we're at, we're at the uh, office at 7 o'clock, and they we're all lined up, all the new trainees. There's me and three other people. And, of course, I'm at the end. So the first trainee comes, and they're like, Jeff, how much did you sell today? And Jeff's like, I sold $25 worth. Everyone's like, yeah, go Jeff, good job. It's, it's hard out there on the first day. Next person's like, yeah, I sold $50. So, like, way to go, Caroline. You're crushing it. Next person sold $50. So like, Jeff, way to go. What, how you doing? So many Jeffs. Jeff's a popular name in Nashville. <laughs> so, you know, Jeff's like, hey, crush it, dude, you rock. And then they get to me, and like, how much did you sell? I go, $400. <laughs> so this started a fast-tracking me to be a part of a pyramid scheme, and it's a whole long story that if you know me, I'm definitely down to tell you I don't have enough time to tell on the podcast, but I got fast-tracked to open up my own branch of a pyramid scheme, <laughs> and they started, like, pulling me aside, and I started training people, and that's where Trey started using the firm selling that car wax all yeah. the time. <laughs> Yeah, so that's the, that's the story and that's the phrase. So if you hear us at any point say, hey, sell me some car wax, now you know. Got to sell some BS sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you all next week.